Hey, it's Richard, and uh, before we start this week's show properly, I've got a, got a full show taped with Frank already, and that's in the can, but he's on his way to Australia right now to do some press for his upcoming March 19th fight with Mark Hunt. So joining me is Frank's head coach and, of course, the third host of Phone Booth Fighting. You know him, Ricky Lundell. Hello, Ricky. Hey, how are you guys? So here's what we're going to do. Because the fights last night uh, on uh, Big Fox, uh, which was headlined by uh, Anthony Rumble Johnson and Ryan Bader, because those occurred last night while Frank was traveling to uh, Australia, obviously we can't get his involvement and opinion on the, those fights. So to keep everything current on the show, Ricky, you and I will do a segment uh, giving our thoughts on the fights, and then uh, you'll hear the show the full show that Frank and I recorded before he left for the Australian press tour. So here we go. Uh, Ricky, last night on uh, Fox, Anthony Rumble Johnson defeated Ryan Bader by KO punches 90 seconds into the first round. Now, I think uh, odds makers had it going that way. They certainly thought Anthony Johnson would come out on top. He was, (laughs) everything I saw was about a three to a three and a half to one favorite uh for for right up until the the late money came in i think if ryan bader had a a a game plan it was going to be to try to grind anthony johnson out like uh, daniel cormier did successfully but boy we never really got to see any of that it was essentially uh ryan bader shot for a single um didn't come anywhere close to getting it. Anthony John- Anthony Johnson gets top control, transitions to uh, back mount, and then pounds him out. Am I missing anything? No, you're not missing anything. I mean, Bader, Bader went in there, and it was obvious that he was looking for that quick takedown and trying mm-hmm. to score there. I mean, Bader has great wrestling. He's got a great shot. It was it was a fast shot from the outside, but he, he committed the cardinal sin of mixed martial arts wrestling if you want to wrestle while doing mixed martial arts there has to be a setup before the shot there was no mm. setup he he was probably coached the entire time like hey man we got to get in there and you take him down if you take him down we saw what happened when he got taken down by daniel cormier we saw that he gets tired down there if you take him down you'll beat him that being said he didn't take into the account that you do have to stand with him long enough to get a setup for your takedown and it's not going to be an easy takedown either. You got you got uh, Anthony Johnson now working with Neil Melanson, a coach that I worked with all the time inside of other training camps. And and I'll tell you, Neil Melanson is no slouch in those areas. If you shoot a shot blindly without any setup, he's just going to block you out, and he's going to run around, and he's going to do what he did. It was amazing to me how comfortable Anthony Johnson looked in that transition because. Ryan Bader uh, shoots for the single, um, misses. But when Johnson comes down on him, it wasn't even it it it, it wasn't even a, any kind of a scramble. I mean, it just looked very deliberate. It looked very almost slow motion. I, I'm I'm sure it didn't feel that way to those guys, but it slow motion in the sense that Johnson just immediately applied his top pressure and then began to move around Bader, who's a very big guy. He's a very big guy. Yeah, and just just, just moved around him, controlled him, and, and from that point on in the however many 15 seconds that, that, that the rest of the fight spanned, uh, 
it just looked very elementary. And I know that, that it's not that Ryan Bader was being outclassed, so I think it's just a testament to how dangerous uh, Anthony Johnson is to the light heavyweight division. You know, Anthony Johnson is extremely dangerous, but I'll tell you, I'll tell you where I, I think there are some mistakes right now, Richard, is Bader has to make some j- changes inside of his training. I saw when he shot that shot, mm-hmm. he stopped on both his knees. He didn't come up. He didn't look for another finish. He just stayed right there. And he did allow Anthony Johnson to just circle around him. There mm-hmm. wasn't a lot going on in that transition. Second, after he got around him, you saw you saw Ryan Bader. He was looking for what, what people call the Kimura trap. He's reaching back. He's trying to get a Kimura on Anthony Johnson and then trying to sit underneath and go for go for a submission there. Yeah, that's right, because he had, he did, you're right, he did for a minute have Johnson's arm extended. He did, and it was a terrible idea. You're you're going against one of the hardest hitters inside of the UFC, and you're deciding to drop for a Kimura trap and go underneath him for a submission. If you lose it, you know what could happen to you is you could get hit in the head a lot. Mm. Well, Bader... In inside of whatever their camp's infinite wisdom is at this time, decided that he was going to go for a Kimura trap instead of just getting a wrist, standing up and getting to into the fight with Anthony Johnson. And I will tell you, from an outside perspective, I believe that Anthony Johnson had that fight won before he even stepped into the cage. And the reason was is he told that camp, that camp said, Ryan, you don't want to get hit by this guy. Mm. Ryan. He hits really, really hard. You need to get in there and you need to you need to take a shot. You need to go in there and you'll take him down. If you take him down, you'll win. But if you don't take him down, you're going to lose. And I think that's why Ryan didn't do the right thing when he got taken down. The right answer was to do a stand-up, use his hands to reset up another takedown, and go in there and try to get that takedown and beat him in the real elements. Instead, he decided to drop to the bottom, look for a submission that ended him on his back, and then he turned over to his belly and got finished there. I think that uh, Anthony Johnson has scared people inside that division, but the guys who have beaten him, if you look at them all, they're the ones who will stand up, strike with him until the ability to actually take him down shows up. But you have to be able to strike with Anthony Johnson long enough to put him into a, a zone where he starts to get tired and loses, loses that power, and then you can put him down. I, again, it's going to be more and more difficult as time goes on because, again, he, he brought in one of the best grapplers in the world with, with Neil Melanson. It's going to be very difficult. Well, uh, this sets up perfectly now for Anthony Johnson to await the winner of John Jones once he returns and rematches with Daniel Cormier. Word is that we could get an announcement on that any time in the next couple of days. That's coming from uh, the UFC's Vice President of uh, Public Relations, Dave Schaller. And so uh, once that announcement is made, and it's widely speculated that that will be the main event of the April pay-per-view, it just doesn't have a location set yet. But if uh, John Jones and Daniel Cormier fight for, uh, for Cormier's light heavyweight title in April, uh, Anthony Johnson, of course, suffered no damage last night, and he's in a perfect position to just sit and wait and be octagon side for that April fight and uh, immediately be signed to take on the winner. In the co-main event, uh, this was a little bit of an upset. Um, uh, ben Rothwell went in as a slight underdog to Josh Barnett and uh, finished Josh Barnett via guillotine choke uh, three minutes and 48 seconds into the second round. Now, I saw this, Ricky, as while it lasted uh, a pretty competitive fight uh, on the feet, the striking totals were almost identical 
it looked to me like Rothwell might just be hitting a little harder. And so maybe even though uh, the the number of punches were uh, similar, maybe the effects were a little more on the side of Rothwell's. And they seem to be maybe increasingly so because toward the middle part of the second round, Rothwell gets uh, Barnett backed up against the cage with his shots and must have rocked him because it looked... The, 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 again, another, another uh, slow motion analogy, uh, Barnett leaned in to try for a single, as I recall. He was going to try to get Rothwell down. Rothwell stays standing. He's not able to get him down, but in the meantime, does leave his neck exposed, and Rothwell's setup of that guillotine was, was pretty slow. I mean, it was that neck was sitting there for quite a while while he adjusted and readjusted. And I remember as I was watching it, I was thinking, well, now he's not going to get it because he's telegraphed too much what he's doing with the guillotine and that neck isn't just going to stay there uh, for the taking, but it did. Yeah, you can see, Richard, that, that Ben Rothwell's guillotine is powerful. I mm-hmm. mean... Now he's finished two fights, you know, uh, in his in his previous fight where we he went up against Matt Mitrione. Mm-hmm. He pulled on it so hard that you saw Matt Mitrione almost do the, the tapping freak out, you yeah. know, where he just, he was like, oh my gosh, this guy's ripping my trachea right. out of my throat. Right. And then you look over at, at Josh Barnett, who, to finish Josh Barnett, that is a huge accomplishment for Ben Rothwell. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really... It really speaks to where that guillotine is at for him inside of MMA. He he strikes guys well. They end up taking a shot, and then, bam, he locks on that choke, and he locks it on really tight. He even locked it on very unconventionally. I mean, he, he locked it on in a single leg with the head on the opposite side. Yeah. Um, and, and you don't see that. You don't see that very often. I mean, you, uh, I, I can't really remember the last time I saw somebody land a guillotine from an unconventional side inside of inside of the UFC. I, I really cannot re- put, put that on a, on a serious note, I- even in a time frame right now. So you take that into account. I, I don't know if it's so much that, that uh, we're looking at Josh Barnett and saying, man, can you believe he got caught in that guillotine? Mm-hmm. Or, or, you know, there might be something to Ben Rothwell's guillotine. It's really mm-hmm. locking into to guys really tight. It, it looks sloppy. It looks weird. But... He's a big, strong man, and when he yanks on that thing, you can tell he's causing some damage. Yeah, I didn't see Josh Barnett comment about it. Uh, I just wonder, it just looked so, I use the word, the, the adjective deliberate again, just because I had time to process it, think about it, have the thought that yeah. now it's been too long, he's not going to be able to get it, and yeah, he just stayed there. Now, the other the other w- possibility, though, was Barnett maybe rocked a little, where Definitely. it kind of wasn't all there. Definitely. And, I, yeah. I don't think it was a very clean guillotine. Yeah. But sometimes in the middle of a fight, after you get rocked, or after somebody gets in and they're starting to get tired, it doesn't have to be the cleanest technique yeah. in the world to make it work. And uh, you can see, when a guy's six foot four, you know, over... You know, in the heavyweight division, 250 pounds plus, they just have to grab hold of your head, mm-hmm. and you're in some serious trouble. And and uh, you could you could see. I mean, even when he started to bail on it, it looked like he ended up getting his body fat smothering his face, causing a secondary choke. He not only was he getting choked 
with his arteries, but it looked like he was also getting smothered there. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot to deal with. Do you think Josh Barnett, or rather, uh, do you think Ben Rothwell is going to be the next logical opponent for your heavyweight fighter, Travis Brown? That's a great question, Richard. I think I think that it is the most logical opponent for Travis Brown as people are starting to, to come up with who needs to be fighting who. Ben Rothwell, Travis Brown, we're looking at we're looking at a title eliminator spot right mm-hmm. here. We're looking at who's going to go after that title next. And I, I personally think it's a great fight. Well, and I also think it makes a lot of sense because with the heavyweight title uh, uh, defense being postponed, we were supposed to see it uh, this coming weekend. And, and we know that both Cain Velasquez and Fabricio Verdum are injured. Cain Velasquez is having some back surgery, but as I understand, He's only expected to be out about four weeks, and Verdum not that long either. So we'll get that fight, albeit delayed, but then Stipe Miosic still sitting over there making an argument for the winner. So it seems like both Travis and, and Ben Rothwell, for that matter, probably need to go ahead and, and take another fight and why not against each other, and that will create a lot of symmetry around the top five heavyweights. Uh, the, oh, the, uh, the other fight I want us to talk about here real quickly, though, was uh, the fight that kicked off the main card, which was Super Sage Northcutt and uh, a, an unheralded fighter, a guy named Brian Barbarina. Now, this fight was at welterweight, which is uh, 15 pounds heavier than Sage Northcutt has been fighting in the UFC, won his first two uh, UFC fights, and up to this point had lived exclusively over on Fight Pass. Everything Sage Northcutt had done, from being discovered by Dana White on his Looking for a Fight web series to uh, the first two fights in the octagon were, were, on, uh, were, were on Fight Pass, but because this guy, who is still a teenager, uh, had gotten so much hype around him, they decided to have him kick off the main card of, uh, uh, of a card on Big Fox, and um, it went into the second round, Sage Northcutt uh, held his own, looked pretty good in the first round. But round two, three minutes and six seconds in, Brian Barberina submits Sage Northcutt, handing uh, Northcutt his first professional defeat with an arm choke, with an arm triangle. Now it, all right. So for those who don't understand, uh, or maybe the more casual fan or, or have never uh, practiced jiu-jitsu themselves, in order to secure an arm triangle like that, you need to pass guard, you, you know the term pass guard, to the side that the arm triangle is on for maximum effect. I guess, and, and to a lesser degree, mount could work, but you ideally it would be, it would be pass to side control first, right, for the arm triangle, if not that, mount. But the thing that rarely works is same side half guard and the thing that never works is what worked which is opposite side half guard do i have all that right richard you do have all of that right i mean it it was uh it was very rough to see sage northcutt go down that way um and and i'll tell you i know sage northcutt he's he's getting a lot of flack for what just happened because it it was not the correct side um for somebody to be choked. It was not the correct spot. It was, it was not even, it didn't even look from the outside. And this is, we weren't in there, so we can't feel it. But from the outside view, it didn't look very tight. And it didn't look like something that he couldn't get out of. Yeah. So he is going to receive a lot of flack there. Now, let me just say from 
I know, I know there's millions and millions of people out there. They're, they're North, Sage Northcutt haters. And, mm-hmm. and I believe Northcutt has a ton of ability. Um, and he really can go to that next level, but he needs that next level training. And I'll tell you something, Richard. Right now, I will make an open invitation to Sage Northcutt on this show. I will straightforward. If Sage Northcutt, if he really wants to get serious and get to that next level, they've done an incredible job with him up to this point. But if he really wants to go to that next level and really do the things that it takes to become a UFC champion, if he wants to come over and check us out at Lundell MMA, I am willing to take a shot at him and start helping him in the areas where he's really, really running into serious problems. Well, we got to make sure he gets that word because uh, it certainly won't ha- won't uh, hurt him. It will uh, it would definitely be worth his time to make the visit because you're right. Uh, he not only got a lot of flack, but a lot of flack from recognizable fighters. I mean, you know, it's, it's a lot of times, you know, fighters, they kind of, I don't want to say protect their own, but they're the, they're the most hesitant to criticize because you're, you're in the business, but listen to, uh, to some of these, uh, from, um, Ben Askren. Can I say it was a weak tap? Just freaking embarrassing. I'd retire my gloves effectively, effective immediately. Uh, Mike Brown, who of course now is coaching over an American top team. Wow, we've got a new president of the Quick Tap Club. Uh, Tony Ferguson. Uh, wow, uh, tapped like a little bee and tried to tell the ref different. Um, uh, Justin Gagey, this is interesting what he said uh, from uh, World Series of Fighting. He said, Joe Rogan says, quote, wow, he tapped in half guard. That's UFC on Fox lingo for while he is definitely, and then he called him an expletive. He's young, but I agree with you, Joe. Um, Manny Gambirian, the kid has a lot to learn. He's too green for the UFC level. Tim Kennedy, UFC promoted superstars are losing at an alarming rate. Northcut, Page, and Ronda, the only one left is Connor. Uh, it just it goes. It goes. Yeah, I mean, on Richard, it's going to go on and on because he yeah. is getting he is getting the press and. And with those people, the people that are that are really getting the UFC has gotten behind them, and they're really pushing them hard, and they're they're trying to get them to that next level. They're very marketable. Mm-hmm. With those people, the the spotlight is going to be on them. Sage yeah. Northcutt, the spotlight is on you. So you have to really start taking things seriously, and you got to get to a place where people understand what it takes to be at that level. They understand the pressure that you're under, and they they know how to coach fighters that are under that type of pressure and until he gets to a place where he's getting coached like that he's going to run into a lot of a lot of trouble I mean and and the same thing goes for uh, Paige Van Zandt you look at her where she's at she's she's in a spot where she needs to start to overcome the kind of pressure that she's under and she needs people around her not just other fighters around her but coaches that understand that kind of pressure the the how to coach somebody through those hard times mm-hmm. and how to deal with these kind of losses when when everybody on the internet is going to talk bad about you sage northcutt everybody is going to talk bad about you because i will be real with you yes it looked bad but do you have athletic ability yes do you have a fight iq yes that being said you have potential but it's your job to harness that you got to get with somebody who who will actually help you harness those skills. You you've made a great run up to this point, but the difference that separates the top 10 fighters in the UFC 
and everybody else is as little as 1% sometimes. And you got a lot of percentages to gain. That's why I give that open invitation. But there's there's a couple other camps that he could get into to, to get him to that next level. But he's got to make a decision and he's got to go with somebody who believes in him. And he's got to understand as long as as long as the UFC is behind him, they haven't been behind other people. So those people are going to hate on you. So it's important for you to know that you have to do more than everybody else just to get any respect. That's a quick recap of UFC on Fox. Now we look ahead to uh, this coming weekend's fight, which was originally supposed to be UFC 196. It's uh, been bounced back to a fight night card, and we'll be talking a lot about that uh, on the next episode. But right now, uh, you can follow Ricky Lundell on social media, Twitter and Instagram, at Ricky Lundell. And with that, away we go and on with the show, uh, bringing in the two-time UFC heavyweight champion Frank Mir and a full-length episode of Phone Booth Fighting that he and I taped before Frank left for an Australian media tour. You're listening to Phone Booth Fighting with myself, Richard Hunter, and the two-time UFC heavyweight champion Frank Mir, broadcasting as uh, we do most weeks from stately Mir Manor here, the Mir residence. We set up in uh, Frank's man cave and uh, hold court uh, via the podcast. Joining me Joining us this week, and and me, I'm going to introduce uh, Frank to uh, a good friend of mine and uh, somebody that I think he's uh, going to have a keen interest in, is uh, the drummer of Steel Panther, Sticks Zadinia. Sticks, how are you? Good to talk to you, man. Good to talk. How are you? I'm good. Uh, It's really nice to be on the phone with you guys. I feel like... uh yeah, it was weird that you instructed me to take my pants off for this thing, but I'm down. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, that you, it'll, well, you'll understand later. We explain no gi grappling. That's kind of how they were intro into this whole thing. Yeah, <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> uh, Steel Panthers coming to town, Frank. They're going to be here in Las Vegas. Uh, for a, a run of dates at the House of Blues inside uh, the Mandalay Bay Casino this Friday, that's January 22nd. They're also going to be there on um, the the uh, February 19th and uh, February 12th as well. So so this Friday, January 22nd, and then February 12th and February 19th. If you've never seen a live Steel Panther show, it's just, and you have not yet, Frank. No, you I have haven't. seen the I'm band. I'm looking forward to it, actually, big time. Now, yes, I told you. It's just one of these things you have to see it to believe it. And let me let me paint the picture. The first time I saw these guys, I got booked in Dallas uh, to bring my radio show out and host the uh, event with Tony Romo, the Dallas Cowboys quarterback, yeah. and he gets on stage and sings with the guys. How long has Tony Romo been showing up and singing at your gigs, Sticks? Oh, man. You know, Tony, he was coming back in the day when he was with uh, Jessica Jessica. Um, so it's, it's been a minute, you know. Yeah. Um, we, we were just out in Dallas a few months ago, and Tony showed up to the, uh, the show with Jimmy Kimmel, and I hate to drop names, I'm sorry. But uh, they were, but you know, Jimmy Kimmel had us on his show, which yes is pretty awesome because it's pretty brave to have Steel Panther on your television show on network television. It but, is. Uh, it, you know, he's, he's been coming out for a long time, and uh, he, he got, we actually played at his wedding. Oh, at, at Tony Romo's wedding. So that means you yeah. play you played down in the Oaklawn area of Dallas, which is like our very uh, uh, high end real estate gay neighborhood. 
Yeah, it was awesome. We were complete fish out of water. It was excellent. <laughs> well, uh, the Steel Panther show is something not to be missed. And, and you're one of those those bands, uh, Sticks, that I get excited about. Like, uh, you know, everybody has those bands that they're fond of where it's kind of exciting to turn a friend on to them, you know? And even if somebody's, yeah, yeah. yeah and even if somebody's seen your stuff online or something, the, the live experience is something that uh, really completes the picture. So to that end, Frank, Sticks uh, has a, a big project to talk about here because steel panther has a new dvd coming out it's going to be uh available worldwide on february 26th it's uh steel panther unplugged as you've never quite heard them before but they're going to be live from lexi's garage lexi fox the bass player they set up and uh i guess lexi's still living at home and they're going to uh they, they did a, a live taping in his mom's garage, which I got to say, uh, Sticks, first of all, very generous of Lexi's mom to allow the space to be used. But I've seen a little preview clip, and you guys really dressed that up nicely. I mean, you even had like a little mini chamber orchestra in there, in addition to uh, what appeared to be a bunch of prostitutes. Well, first of all, uh, Lexi's mom is a giver. She is <laughs> very, very generous with everything that she has. Uh-huh. And we really, we, we appreciate that. Um, she let us use her garage to jam some tunes. And, you know, in in our perfect world, audience members would all be women. Because, I mean, that's why we got into rock and roll in the beginning. You know what I mean? Yeah. So we decided to do this thing, film it, and there's about 100 really, really beautiful girls that we're jamming for. And it is, like you said, Richard, it's something that people haven't seen us do, because usually we're plugged in with distortion and rock and loud, but this is very intimate, and, uh, you know, she's got a very, very nice garage, what can I say? <laughs> well, I think that, uh, you know, uh, case in point, uh, you know, attracting the uh, the ladies to the show, you know, I grew up, uh, Frank, in the hair metal era. I mean, I lived this. You know, the guys in Steel Panther did as well, and of course, they're uh, <clears throat> carrying the torch, awaiting the, you know, the the eventual second coming, which I kind of feel like we're on the, the verge of. But uh, like my girlfriend, for example, who's, who's uh, younger than me, she uh, was born after the hair metal era, but she loves Steel Panther. So you guys are kind of, uh, you know, you're, you're, I guess you're corrupting a whole, a whole other generation, in a sense, uh, Sticks, right? People who weren't around for the first wave. Well, you know, it's really kind of fascinating when you come to one of our shows because you'll see people in their 50s and 60s who, you know, who loved heavy metal back when, you know, when they were in their 20s for instance, and then we see young, like teenagers come to our show who didn't, who were obviously born way after, but they got turned on one way or another, and now we're kind of, like you said, we're carrying the torch for those kids, we're also, we're also bringing back the nostalgia for the people who lived it the first time, and it's pretty awesome to see the demographic of our show is like, you know, teenage to grandfather, it's awesome. Yeah, I, I know uh, the last time I caught you guys uh, was in Reno, and uh, our, our show airs uh, terrestrially in addition to the podcast, the Phone Booth Fighting Podcast. You also uh, hear us broadcast terrestrially in the Reno and Las Vegas market, so I know they're hearing this as well. I saw the guys up in Reno, Frank, and they had just gotten done with a uh, doing a tour with Judas Priest, and as I recall, Sticks, you guys were really lamenting the, uh, the, the elderly groupies that Judas Priest has these days. It was apparently finding a premenopausal groupie was kind of few and far between, right? 
Yeah, it was, you know, Judas Priest, complete legends. And actually, all of those dudes are totally awesome guys. Um, but they don't have the youngest fans. Yeah. <laughs> the plus side is that because the ladies were of age, there were definitely not going to be any paternity suits coming out of that. <laughs> I, I totally appreciate that fact. Yeah, you know, I didn't really, I didn't really think of that, that way. It makes a lot of sense. you gotta, you got to look at the, the pluses here. No, you really do. And, uh, you know, I, I was thinking, I was just reviewing the, the Steel Panther catalog, as I like to do uh, each and every time there's a, a show coming up that I know I'm going to get to see. And in addition to, I know that's uh, already out there is the uh, preview single, uh, from uh, live from Lexi's mom's garage, which is uh, "You Blew Me Away," and uh, uh, it's, it's yeah, a, that's, when, that's when you came in. Yeah, that's when. Or that's, I'm sorry, it's called "That's When You Came In," and then uh, part of the course is uh, "When You Blew Me Away." It's a uh, you know, it's I think it's a one, another example sticks of how every bad boy has a soft side. You know, it's another one of those signature power ballads. It's uh, sure to end up in some sort of uh, as seen on TV. Uh, compilation, I would think, at some point. I, you know, I hope you're right, because I, actually I think it's a really, really good song. And, you know, if you if you take the words a little out of context, it can sound a little bit racy, but it's really just a testament to how, how much we love the ladies. Yeah. You know? we're, trying to, we're trying to keep it real. Yeah. I You know, another recurring theme uh, in your music stick, speaking of, uh, of uh, loving the ladies, is between the, the four of you, a number of uh, cases of uh, sexually transmitted diseases. This has happened a lot through the Steel Panther uh, experience. And I started thinking about that the other day, Sticks, and I thought, you know, between the four of you, to your knowledge, have any of you started to uh, develop like a super resistance to penicillin? I think that would be a concern. Uh, it's funny that you say that because we, we've all been to the doctor so much mm-hmm. that we, we've invested in a uh, pharmaceutical company. Oh, I didn't know and that. And we are cur- we are currently having them work on a Steel Panther brand of penicillin. Ah. See, you know, and what doesn't kill you only makes you stronger. So, you know, in small That's doses where they say, you know, look how they get uh, anti-venom. You know, you have someone who, you know, they inject, uh, you, know, equi- you know, horses with yeah. uh you know, small amounts of venom, and then eventually builds up antibodies. So, you know, eventually we'll see that these four guys will be, uh, you know, they, we might have to start drawing their blood to cure some of the common diseases out there. What a turn of events that would be, Sticks. <laughs> I, you know what? I think that you guys, it sounds like you guys get what I'm saying. <laughs> and I, and I, I totally appreciate that. It's a very selfless act of their part to go ahead and submit themselves to that type of lifestyle to yeah, help really benefit is. the rest of society. No, it really is. It's a very philanthropic effort, what you guys are doing, is what Frank was saying, that, you know, to really uh, sacrifice of yourself like that for the greater good and maybe eventually lead toward, you know, curing some, some diseases out there. Well, I, I thank you. That makes me feel good that you guys realize that we're trying to do good for the community. Yeah, no, it's it's clear. It's clear in your message. Um, you know, Sticks, um, I was uh, I, I was also given some thought to uh, you know Frank's got his next fight coming up. He'll be fighting uh, Mark Hunt over in Australia on uh, March nineteenth. And uh, you know, one one thing that uh, a, any UFC fighter uh, needs to think about uh, certainly a, uh, a a two time UFC heavyweight champion, future Hall of Famer like Frank here is uh, is his walkout music. To my knowledge, no. UFC 
fighter has ever walked out to Steel Panther. What would you say if you were to tell a fighter, uh, if you were to pick one Steel Panther song that would make the best walkout song, what would you think it would be? He whipped. <laughs> okay, so kind of an ironic message. But- yeah, but well, but he whipped actually talks about it's it's sung from the point of view of a dude who has a friend who's whipped. Oh, that's right. So, that's right. Yeah, a cautionary so tale. Cautionary tale. Yeah, the song is like it's kind of for forewarning marks. Look, dude, you're gonna be my bitch, and this is how it's going down. And it's a ripping nice. song. Oh wow! I, see. I wonder what kind of effect that could have on the Super Samoan. You know, he he's not expecting that. He starts no, hearing no, that, no. and then he's just he's just uh, lethargic, yeah, probably no, more or less. Psychological but, warfare. Yeah, That's a good idea. Yeah, I was thinking that when you first asked the question, I'm like, man. We gotta be careful what song we pick. You know, Mrs. Mirror's gonna be back in the locker room waiting for me. I might, <laughs> I might have to leave a little bit in the tank for the next battle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. I think uh, I, I got. I was telling Mrs. Mirror uh, before we went on the air, uh, uh, Sticks. She has not seen a uh, Steel Panther show either. So I was, uh, I was preparing her uh, for uh, for the experience because uh, you know it's one that. Uh, I mean, the the band draws uh, a lot. Of, what do you think this the the key is, Sticks? all these years to uh, being so popular with the ladies. What, what do you think the secret to that is? Man, if I knew, if I knew what it was, I'd bottle it and I'd sell it. I really, I think, you know what, I'm just going to say, I, you've got four super-duper sexy guys. Uh-huh. Like, like so, it's so sexy, it's, it sometimes freaks us out. Yeah, but so you have that, and then you have four super sexy guys wearing spandex. Then you have four super sexy guys wearing spandex playing super super bitch and heavy metal. I think that's just a recipe for success. No, I think so. I think so. It's uh, it's certainly a recipe to uh, to keep the ladies interested. Now, another thing that Steel Panther is known for is uh, some fantastic music videos. You know, music videos back in the day, the hair metal. I mean, th- th- that it was very important. I mean, a lot of times that was really your key vehicle to get the music to the masses on MTV and things like that. So, Steel Panther, I think, has really upheld that uh, tradition. And uh, like uh, my my friend Hal Sparks that I open comedy shows for, he's a, a close associate of Steel Panther, sits in with the band, and he's in their video, uh, uh, Party Like uh, Tomorrow is the End of the World. But also in that video, Frank, is uh, a UFC Hall of Famer in his own right, the Iceman Chuck Liddell. How, I saw him doing the uh, you little, saw that. beer uh, guzzle there. Yeah, how did you guys come to cast uh, Chuck Liddell in your video? Well, uh, you know, Chuck had come to several shows, and you know, he's he's buddies with a, a you know few baseball players. Brad Penny was who we knew. He was a pitcher for the Dodgers, among other Marlins. Uh-huh. And Chuck Chuck was just coming to shows, and and he was hanging out. So on the day that we you know we decided, hey, let's do this this video and call all our friends. Uh, our bass player Lexi Fox called up Chuck and said, Hey, dude, you want to come down? And he totally did. It was it was really cool to have him down there. Well, not to put you on the spot, uh, sticks, but you know, should you ever need to cast another uh, UFC superstar in a music video, I, I might be able to uh, twist Frank's arm here. Ironically, not literally. I probably won't literally be able to twist his arm, but, but I don't think you would be able to literally twist his arm. No, if you try. no. But I mean, I guess I'm thinking more sort of like uh, euphemistically twist his arm. I think I could, you know. I could I could speak the words to him that might persuade him. So keep that in mind. 
Well, I got to tell you, I mean, in, in all sincerity, we are Frank Beard fans. Um, I, I love watching you fight, and uh, all of us are. I, I'm thrilled to be on here, just to just to meet you on here. And you know, anytime you want to be in anything, we're we're involved. We're down. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. I mean, normally I can't even get sticks to return my phone calls, but it was funny because as soon as I mentioned your name that I'm doing the show with you, all of a sudden he's my buddy. So I'm like, oh, okay, this is awesome. No, I need to start learning how to use that to my advantage. <laughs> <laughs> it's a game changer. You're right. Uh, so, so listen to this, uh, Sticks. Speaking of rock royalty connections, for, we have to uh, important birthday shout out on the uh, phone booth fighting show today, Frank. It is the, uh, the birthday of... Uh, my my first hero, my mentor, uh, dare I say somebody who had a much greater influence uh, on my life than my own, even my own father did, my all-time favorite member of KISS, the star child Paul Stanley. It's his birthday. And Sticks, the reason I bring this up is because we have discovered on uh, Frank Mir's Twitter account that Paul Stanley is a big Frank Mir fan as well. He even goes so far as to, uh, before Frank's last couple of fights, he's posted these inspirational uh, good luck messages on his uh, on his Instagram. And uh, I'm floored by that. You know, I mean, the Frank thinks it's pretty cool, but uh, uh, that's the kind of thing that uh, that would have made my life as, a, uh, as an eight-year-old carrying my Kiss lunchbox to school. I'm sure you can relate to that. That's awesome, man. You know what? We got to do the Kiss Cruise a couple months ago. Yeah, yeah. So I've been, and, uh, you told me about that. I'm really interested in yes, trying to get on that. Yeah, so I've been telling Frank about the Kiss Cruise and that we need to go on it. So good. I'm glad we had you. You enjoyed yourself? Good time? I did. You know what? Um, first of all, all, all the guys in Kiss were were killer. You know, I mean, we, we got invited because they, they wanted us. And, um, you know, it was, it was a cool experience. I got it, being on a cruise ship. I don't know how many cruises you guys have been on. Being on a cruise ship is like sort of being on a really, really fancy floating Alcatraz because <laughs> you can't you can't escape. I mean, once you know you're on the boat and you ain't getting off that boat until you get back to port. So that's the only thing. Once you get beyond that, you know, concept, it's great because all you do is you hang out, you see people, you see the whole community, like because they're all giant Kiss fans. Yeah, and that's cool. See these two, and, and it doesn't really matter what cruise you're talking about, uh, because it's just a, a boat full of people who all have something in common, and it's pretty awesome. To, everyone is so stoked to be there, to you know, to all share that thing that they have in common, and uh, the the crowds were great to us. It was really really cool. That's awesome, man. Uh, uh, Sticks, we're, uh, I know you're, you're probably a little pressed for time, so we're going to uh, uh, mention one more time that uh, Live from Lexi's Mom's Garage comes out on uh, CD and DVD worldwide on February 26th. But in the meantime, uh, if you're here in the Las Vegas area, make plans to uh, head to where Frank and I are going, which is uh, this Friday night at House of Blues inside the Mandalay Bay Casino. Steel Panther is going to be playing not only this Friday, that's January 22nd, but they will also be at uh, House of Blues uh, in Las Vegas on uh, February 12th, and then also again on February 19th. And I assume, uh, Sticks, you'll be showcasing some of the new material from uh, live from Lexi's mom's garage, yes? Absolutely. Yeah, I can't wait to, to have you guys down this week. It'll be cool. 
The website is steelpantherrocks.com for all the tour dates and also a very impressive array of merchandise, which I, I noticed the uh, the limited edition uh, bundle that's coming out with the DVD also appears to have uh, a, a limited release of uh, Lexi Fox's signature hand mirror that he really, when you add it all up, probably sticks, spends more time staring into than actually playing bass on stage some nights. <laughs> You're not kidding, dude. He actually got a picture of his own face on the backside of the mirror, so when he's looking in the mirror, the crowd still gets to see his face. <laughs> Stick Sedinia, so you, can, <laughs> you can follow him uh, on Twitter as well. Check him out, and uh, steelpantherrocks.com again is the website. Sticks, thanks again, man, and uh, we'll, we'll see you this Friday, okay? Awesome. Thank you guys very much. Hit me up uh, for guest list stuff. We'll do it. You're listening to Phone Booth Fighting, your weekly dose of mixed martial arts conversation, and sometimes we work in a little 80s hair metal nostalgia. I'm your host, Richard Hunter, along with the two-time UFC heavyweight champion, Frank Mir. We're broadcasting live from stately Mir Manor once again this week. You can follow us uh, on social media. Instagram at phone booth fighting and on Twitter at phone booth fight. You can get the podcast by either subscribing in iTunes or uh, going to phoneboothfighting.com. So many of you have done that the last couple of weeks, Frank. We got to thank once again our uh, friends over at the Fighter and the Kid podcast, Brendan Schaub and Brian Callen, because uh, a couple of weeks ago, those guys basically did a joint uh, podcast with us. We picked up a bunch of new subscribers, and uh, from the numbers, uh, all those folks stayed with us this past week. So uh, we uh, we got those folks sticking with us, so it's good to have them. That's awesome. And uh, you can follow Frank on social media, Twitter, and Instagram, at the Frank Mir and myself, at Richard Hunter. Okay, Frank, so uh, earlier today, I went down to the MGM Grand Garden Arena and uh, for the UFC 197 press conference. We had... Uh, in order of appearance, the UFC women's bantamweight champion, Holly Holm. We had the UFC lightweight champion, Rafael Dos Anjos, Dana White at the podium, and then on the other side of him, the notorious Conor McGregor, and uh, we had Misha Tate rounding out the uh, quintet. Now, uh, what they were there to announce is the big card uh, coming up in March at uh, the MGM, and it's going to feature not one but two title fights on the line. The co-main event, Holly Holm, is making her first uh, defense of the women's bantamweight title against Misha Tate. In the main event, Conor McGregor is going to move up in weight from uh, uh, featherweight, where he currently holds the uh, title belt. He's going to move up 10 pounds to lightweight at 155, and he's going to challenge Rafael Dos Anjos. First of all, what were your thoughts when you first heard that about that move? He is going to attempt to become the first fighter in UFC history to simultaneously hold two belts. What did you think about when you heard that announcement? Well, I mean, it's actually uh, you know it was an impressive feat, and it would be something to. Uh uh, really put himself up there, you know, in the upper echelons of, uh, you know, the MMA world. Um, I think that it's a great position he's in. Um, there really is no lose. He's going up a weight class. If he goes out there and is able to pull this off and, and win the fight, he has uh, done something that nobody else has done before in our sport and is to hold two uh, titles uh, concurrently. And uh, if he fails, I mean, he's still the champ at 145, and he basically lost to the champ that's at 155, who Rafael Tosanios is, is no joke. He's an extremely dangerous guy. And, you know, this is one of those situations where it's basically it's all uh, upside for Connor because even if he were to go out there and, and battle it out and lose a five-round decision but looks good, 
um, you know, uh, it's still a win for him morally. Uh, the person taking the fight, honestly, Rafael, uh, you know, he has uh, uh, everything to lose and very little to gain. Um, uh, you know, at the end of he, you know, winning, he's going to beat, you know, Connor. Um, there'll be some credit for that, but at the end of the day, uh, you know, the naysayers, you know, they're going to come in and say, well, that's why he's a, you know, you beat up on a guy who's, you know, the 45 pound champ. Yeah, see, that's what I was thinking, too, is that, uh, you know, it come up when I was uh, guest hosting MMA Junkie a couple of weeks ago. Somebody said, well, why not uh, Frankie first and you clean out the division, then you move up. But that was the point I made. I said, if you do that and you lose, if you're Connor, then then you lose all the intrigue of the move up to lightweight. If you do this, like you said, it's a win-win because if he goes up and wins, awesome, first guy to ever do it. If he loses, it's easy to say, well, he went up, fought out of his natural weight class, right. and he comes back down. He's still the champ the at 145. Still there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's still no, you're there. right. You can't do it in reverse. In fact, right. it's very dangerous to do it in reverse. Frankie Edgar is a, a very dangerous opponent, and you know, and, and I wouldn't want to bet that it's a, a win for Connor to easily take. Um, you know, there's a lot of risks in that fight fighting uh, Frankie. Um, I think it's an extremely dangerous fight for Connor. Yeah. Stylistically, if you look at their different makeups and what they're able to do and speed and movement and, and whatnot, but the grappling, you know. Uh, but here, like I said, it's all win. I'm like, it's the smartest move I could think of. Um, you know, obviously, uh, you know, they probably had to entice Rafael Dos Anjos, you know, uh, financially to take on this kind of risk because, if he loses, you know, it's kind of like the guy who's throwing the pitch now, you know, uh, you know, Barry Bonds, you know, is going up for the home run record. And, you know, people start, you know, walking him a lot more because you don't want to be that guy. You don't want to be that guy. That's right. And, uh, you know, to hear Conor McGregor tell the tale, though, at the press conference today, uh, he is the one who is giving Rafael Dos Anjos the chance of a lifetime to make the kind of money that uh, he's never been able to make before. So let's listen to a little audio. I, it it probably will not surprise you if I if I go ahead and uh, tell you that uh, Connor was a little outspoken. Uh, he was brash, uh, huh? yeah he was not hmm. uh, not afraid to be a little brash and take a whole lot of credit in the process. So here is my interaction with uh, the uh, the four fighters on the dais. Uh, earlier today, leading off with the notorious Conor McGregor. Question for Conor McGregor. Conor, UFC 200's coming up in July. We're talking a lot about your long-range plans. You never shy away from planning for the future. Uh, if there's no you know, injury or anything like that that uh, holds you up after UFC 197, can you say you after, would fight at 200? I'll be fresh after 197. I believe I will dust Rafael inside one minute. Um, he is a slower, sloppier version of Aldo. He's a, he's like a bum version of Aldo. So I, I believe in, in absolutely everything. I believe inside one minute I will dust him. I will exit the contest fresh. I will cash the check. I will sign the next contract for UFC 200, the brand new MGM, and we'll go again. 2015 was my year. 2016 is also my year. Every year is my f-ing year. Okay. Hmm. So, uh, what he did there is he, he guaranteed me that, uh, first of all, he's going to be Rafael Dos Anjos in under one minute. Uh, he'll be physically fine. And then he is going to immediately cash the check and then sign the deal for UFC 200 that night and be in action in March. Wow. Uh, he's great for the uh, <laughs> UFC. Uh, 
you know, people are definitely going to tune in because either you're going to really follow him and, and really you're backing him or you're really going to tune in to want to watch the fall. Yeah. And uh, he sets up to where people are going to be polarized with him. That's one great thing he's done with his marketing. You either, uh, you know, he has fans that love him that are diehard will fly across the sea and, and purchase tickets and and show up to to cover his uh, you know to, to be a part of his fights and you're gonna have the fans that absolutely hate him that are gonna purchase tickets fly across the sea mm-hmm. to watch his demise. Here's what I can say about him at this point. I mean, is there is that are those amazing claims to make? Yes, absolutely. I mean, just the fact that he's willing to as a fighter not give you the standard answer of, you know, well, I'm just focusing on the opponent that's in front of me at the moment, and then, you know, uh, uh, we'll see what happens after the fight. We'll take, you know, one step at a time. But for now, i got a very tough opponent in front of me. And, and not that that's the wrong thing to say, because for a lot of fighters, it's it's probably important to be singularly focused, and it's also a way to be respectful of the opponent that's in front of you. But in the case of Conor McGregor, I mean, we all sat around not very long ago, just a month or so ago, and we debated why you know he's going to have a tough time against Jose Aldo and the kind of, and and they were all valid points that everybody made but then look what happened right. and all i'm saying is is Rafael dos Anjos a tougher fight for him than Jose Aldo i mean maybe because there's he's a bigger fighter you know maybe he's uh you know he's got a pressure style we saw the way that he beat uh, Anthony Pettis repeated takedowns that's uh, maybe a place where Conor McGregor is going to be uh uh liable but all that being said right now as you and I sit here is there any reason to really pick Rafael dos Anjos or to doubt Conor McGregor in a way that's any different than the Jose Aldo fight, and I'm not sure there is. Well, I actually have a few points I would bring okay. up that would. Okay. Uh, do I think that striking-wise they're very similar? Um, yes, you know, I think they're both great athletes. Speaking of Rafael and, and, and Jose uh, Aldo and making correlations, but where it stops there is that, that, that um, Rafael is a multifaceted, dangerous opponent. He has takedown abilities that, that not that I don't know if Jose Aldo in his career possessed them but he never mm-hmm. did them so mm-hmm. you know as far as uh having to keep up when i think that connor took the fight with jose they they marched out in the middle of the ring it was going to be a stand-up fight with facing across the ring from jose of uh, rafael dos Anjos, i think he's gonna have to somehow you know and he's very good at this get into his head and try to convince Rafael to abandon taking shots on him and not just try to beat him, but beat him, you know, stand up and battle with me. And then I think that's the greatest opportunity for, uh, you know, Conor McGregor to, to win the fight. Whereas if he goes out there and he wants to start taking him down, you know, Chad Mendes, who has a shorter reach and shorter arms, was able to take him down four times in, in two minutes and had a short camp. Uh, he's going to get taken down by Rafael Desanos, who has, you know, some. Uh, I think he has the record for the most takedowns in the lightweight division. So he's a bigger, more explosive guy who's also black belt in jiu-jitsu who's not going to make the same mistakes and allow him to get up. Um, I think that. So he, I think there's more on the table that he has to get ready for. I think that when he prepared for Jose Aldo, you know, grappling was an afterthought. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, well, you know, Jose's, you know, he's good there if we get there, but like, let's face it, Jose's not going to make it go to the ground if I don't go to the ground. So we're going to kind of, you know, we know this fight's going to partake, you know, uh, take place yeah. completely on its feet. Uh, this fight with Rafael Desanos, if, if Rafael keeps a good game plan and mixes up like he did with Pettis, you know, the stand up with the takedowns, 
I think that's a very hard fight for McGregor. If he gets into, you know, McGregor gets into his ear and, you know, the, any kind of bravado comes out where he's just going to, you know, go fist to cuffs, well, now I think you're flipping the coin and McGregor has phenomenal power. You know, so does Rafael dos Anjos. But that's a much more winnable fight for McGregor. I think it certainly makes sense in terms of the grappling, what you're saying. I guess for me... It's and it's still going to be a, a tough fight for me to to make a, a pick on. I guess what I'm saying is I think Dos Anjos is going to be the same amount of susceptible to if I can put it that way to the the minimal distance, zero wasted space and effort striking of Conor McGregor that Jose Aldo was. However, it is that Conor does that. However, he packs so much power into such what seems to be a seemingly effortless strike. I think Dos Anjos could be equally as susceptible to that, and I don't think True. the 10 pounds makes that much but difference. But the one time we've seen it is only in his last fight. Yeah. I watched him fight Chad Mendez for almost two rounds yeah. and didn't drop him with just the one shot. You know, He yeah. caught him with shots before that, hurt him with leg kicks. Chad was in the opportunity to take him down. And, and you know, his fight with Poirier, you know, earlier the fight wasn't stopped, you know, uh, in, in, you know, in 13 seconds. Yeah. The fight before that, you know, or, you know, after that, before the, the Mendes fight. Coming so, up next, we will also play the audio of Rafael Dos Anjos' response to me. Coming up next on Phone Booth Fighting. It's Phone Booth Fighting. Frank Muir and myself, Richard Hunter, are... Uh, Talking some mixed martial arts with you and uh, right in the process of uh, navigating our way through today's UFC 197 press conference at the MGM Grand, where I was uh, fortunate enough to be in attendance. We just played the audio of uh, me talking to Conor McGregor. And uh, now, Frank, I wanted to play Rafael Dos Anjos' response to uh, part of what McGregor was saying, but I was also asking Dos Anjos about the very thing you and I were talking about, which is uh, the perceived... Uh, wrestling advantage that Dos Anjos is going to have over McGregor. Not surprisingly, though, Conor McGregor cuts Rafael Dos Anjos off and finishes the, the uh, answer to the question for him. Question for Rafael Dos Anjos. Uh, your path to the title was through wrestling. Uh, obviously, that was a big key to your victory over Anthony Pettis. Uh, do you anticipate that that's going to be a key component to defeating Conor McGregor? I'm a, I'm a complete fighter, man. I fight standing, I fight on the ground, you know. I think my, my history talk by itself. I, I beat Ben Henderson, Nate Diaz, Anthony Pettis, Donald Cerrone twice. Donald, that, 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 wasn't, that wasn't a TKO, that wasn't a finish. Donald, Donald quit in there. I, looking at that, it was an early, it was an early finish for, for Dos Anjos against Cerrone, but looking at that finish, my God, in... in, in in, as far as finishes go, it was one of the worst finishes I've ever seen. He was swinging wild. He hit, he hit sho nothing but shoulder. He almost lost balance. He was swinging that, that wild in there. Um, he was hitting glove and then looking at the ref saying, ref, please stop this fight. Please get me out of here. And then the ref obliged and stopped the fight for him. So it was a, it was a very weak finish against uh, Cerrone. So you can talk about your wins and losses, but the, at the end of the day, you've tasted that darkness of, of, of being KO'd stiff, and you will taste it again on March 5th. My next question you guys can make for him, because his answer for me, so my next question you guys can make yeah, for I, him. I, I set it all up, and I knocked it all out of the park. That's what I do. That's why you're sitting there. That's why you're flying to, to Brazil and, 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 uh, to do that media run. I want, I want to send you back to our Brazilian TV partners, Globo, and Combat J Sport, and have you answer to the Brazilian people why 
we have to book you a hotel in your own home country. Why? Your kids' names are Bob, your kids' names are Bob and Donald. Why are you raising American children? Why don't you trust in your own people? So you're going back to Brazil to answer that question while you stay in a hotel that we have to pay for you because you don't have a home over there. Ouch. <laughs> it, this guy. All right. <clears throat> I may not know so much about, uh, you know, uh, uh, firsthand experience with fighting, but I do get talking. And it's very interesting to study the conversational nuances of Conor McGregor. And there was a couple of things I thought about after I left this press conference. Please share. Number one, he is starting to use the pronouns we and, and us a lot when he's talking about the UFC. We have to book you a hotel. I'm going to send you back to our Brazilian partners, Globo. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like he's practicing for co-promotion. It's like he's, whether it's real or or just perceived, he's portraying a, um, you know, uh, uh, an equality to himself and, and Dana and Lorenzo Fertitta and, you know, the partners, the brain trust. We, we had to do this. We had to do that. Talking to the opponent as if, you know, probably the way that, that Floyd Mayweather would talk to, you know, one of his opponents, maybe not named Manny Pacquiao. I mean, one of the other guys that, you know, he's kind of like, I'm doing all this for you. We're doing this for you. We're promoting this fight together. You see what I'm saying? Like, it, it kind of, I, I, I think it's interesting and I don't know how much the opponents pick up on it, but you start to buy into that. Later on in the press conference, he starts talking about the uh, poster that's come out for the fight. They had a big poster up, you know, and he was taking exception to the fact that, Dos Anjos' champion was actually put in front of him. I mean, they're equal size on the poster, but Dos Anjos' shoulder sort of overlaps McGregor. So one's in the forefront, one's in the, the, the background. And then uh, Dos Anjos, because it's his title on the line, he has his belt in the picture. Connor doesn't. Connor went on this long diatribe about how uh, that's unacceptable. These posters are iconic. They live for the ages. People look back on them long after the fights have happened. Clearly, someone in the UFC poster department has gotten comfortable on the job and is uh, asleep at the wheel. Uh, Connor is going to launch an investigation into that. He's going to figure out who's at fault and have them. Uh, he's going to eliminate them. So he basically has uh, said that he is going for the job of the person who's in charge of the UFC's graphic department, and he's going to fire them. You know, I mean, I don't think that's really going to happen, but it's like there's just no end to this guy. Like the way that he thinks. How about the fact in that audio clip, Frank? He he he's thinking. He's thinking about the psychological warfare. So he's first of all, he's playing. You don't hear it, uh, completely in that clip, but he's playing Jose Aldo against Rafael dos Anjos. He credits Aldo. He says, you know, Aldo is a Brazilian fighter through and through. He never learned the language of the oppressor. Meaning, you know, he should be credited Jose Aldo for the fact that he doesn't speak English. Uh, and he's a true Brazilian. Rafael dos Anjos lives in California. When we do a, a, a media tour, we have to book him a hotel in his own country because he doesn't have a home there. Then he goes to the trouble to learn his kids' names. And he's like, why are your kids' names Bob and Donald? Those aren't Portuguese names. 
I mean, I'm sure, you know, you take that very personally if he references your kids, but you just yeah. just think about what this guy's like, the amount of time that he's putting no, in. He's thought that through, and you're right, though. You know, making a, you know the type of references to a, like Muhammad Ali. You know, we've had people before, you know, like Chael Sonnen, for example, that is good at, uh, you know, uh, selling fights. But I, I think that really he's not only selling the fight, but he's also really playing into his opponent's head. Mm-hmm. I think he is too, and I think, I think he's got every bit of the, you know, the the verbal abilities of Chael Sonnen. But it's as if it's like if Chael had done all of that trash talking. And then knock John Jones out with one punch. You know what I mean? I mean, right. it's like ultimately, even though Chill did such a great job getting to those no, fights. No, it adds yeah. much more uh, uh, impact if you follow through with yeah. it. Yeah, but I mean, then to be able to close a show uh, like this guy does, it's really, it's really amazing to watch. And you not only see the Brazilian guys get sucked into it, but I'll be honest, I think some of the Brazilian media does. Because then we had members of the Brazilian media uh, teeing up uh, uh, Rafael dos Anjos with questions like, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, Conor McGregor said uh, that he thought he could defeat Jesus in the octagon. And Rafael, I know you're a very religious man. How did that affect you? You know, and, and, and getting Dos Anjos to play into the idea of nationalism and religion. And all of a sudden, you've just got these much bigger overtones than just the fight itself. I think it's just a, an, an ability to talk a fight, to talk the game in a way that we've just never seen it before. And it just so happens to come with a guy who so far has been able to back up everything he's claimed. Oh, absolutely. It's been a perfect storm. Uh, you know, he's, he's done things, you know, outside the octagon and, 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 and walked a walk that nobody really has been brave enough to do. It's, it's hard to, uh, you know, it puts added stress as a fighter. There are t- reasons why most of us, when you ask us, hey, how are you going to do? You know, um, the, there's two ways to look at it. Most guys will act humbly and stay vague because it you don't want to kind of give away your cards to right. your opponent. You sit there and you go, you know, I feel like I'm going to do this A, B, or C. You know, that much harder in warfare. It's like, well, hey, he's, they're going to come this way. He's going to go here. And so, you know, sometimes that's the way I've always tried to feel that, you know, say some things, but let's not give away our cards until the night of the fight, until it's too late to prepare. And other guys, regardless of what they feel about that, they just don't want to commit to anything because, you know, that's scary to go out there and go, man, you know, I don't want to say I'm going to, you know, you know win and do this because, you know, if I lose and I look that much more dumb and, you know, and I've always kind of thought, well, you know, if you lose, you lose. No one's, you know, it's, it's, it sucks either way, man. But mm-hmm. a lot of people don't want to put too much behind it because, you know, that's much more they got to, you know, they say, you know, make your words very small. They're easier to swallow afterwards. And <laughs> and uh, and here, you know, uh, Connor is not following that uh, adage at all. And and um, it is going to be curious to see how I, I do, you know, because eventually, I mean, look, it's, it's UFC, the best of the best are fighting. A loss will occur. And I want to see how he deals with it, you know, because he's shown such mental fortitude leading up to it. But with the momentum of all these victories, I'm curious, just also learn on my own, be like, hey, how does this guy handle this? And, you know, it'll be a good case study to be, you know, if you make it this big of a, you know, this much bravado behind it and it comes crashing down and all the people that are just going to be, you know, biting, you know, and salivating to look at your demise, um, how are you going to handle that? I mean, you've seen the backlash that happened with Ronda, you know, had Mm -hmm. a ton of confidence 
defense looked unstoppable. I mean, you know, everybody's talking about how she's just on a whole different level. No one's ever going to be able to beat her. Um, you know, she was this unstoppable force and, you know, one leg, you know, kicked to the head later. <laughs> yeah. You know, and then I think that she had that, you know, she couldn't even talk after the fight. Yeah. She didn't even give a post-fight interview. She got up and got out of there, you know, because of, I'm not used to being on this side of it. And could the fall even be greater because for, you know, all of uh, all of Ronda's confidence, you know what you never heard Ronda Rousey say? Um, I think I'll finish her in under a minute. I think she won't make it past the first 60 seconds. No, definitely as far and as... And she had a lot of reason to say that. No, I mean... <laughs> she never well, I mean, said it. At the point that they fought, as far as performance, uh, you know, uh, uh, impressive performances in their comparative weight classes and, 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 and departments, uh, Ronda was much more of a force. Nobody had, had ever beaten her, let alone, yeah. you know, only one girl had ever made it out of the first round with her. Yeah. Everybody's been submitted by her. She has a perfect finishing record. You know, Connor has losses on his record. He's lost fights mm -hmm. before. Not, you know, he's, he's won by decision. He hasn't finished every opponent out there. So as far as in comparison, inside the octagon, Ronda was a much, you know, uh, more... Uh, logical if i had to say hey who's going to end up being undefeated throughout their career yeah i think that it would been more logical to, at that point before that fight with holly to point at her it's mm -hmm. like well you know look at ronda she's head and shoulders above everybody we haven't even seen you know she's jumped in there and knocked people out with her hands now you know plus she has the arm bar ability you know submit and the judo um you know how can someone beat her? Mm -hmm. And then Holly came out there and, you know, you know, now you have the people afterwards going, I saw that. I'm like, really? You know, I saw that Holly could have won by a five round decision. Possibly. I just thought it'd be very difficult not to make a mistake. If she ended up on the ground, I didn't have Holly winning before that fight. Yeah. I didn't, you know, I didn't call that. You know, it's funny how you get people afterwards. Go, oh, yeah, I saw that coming. I'm like, really? I don't know. Everybody I talked to before that, I, I couldn't find a person that wasn't betting on yeah. <laughs> Rhonda. And, uh, you know, and so it's how people are. Speaking of uh, Holly Holm, I talked to her next uh, about her upcoming title fight with Misha Tate. Talk to Misha as well. It's coming up next on Phone Booth Fighting. You're listening to Phone Booth Fighting, and we thank you for doing so. Myself, Richard Hunter, and former UFC heavyweight champion Frank Mir. want to remind you to check out our sponsors, Real Water. Get real at drinkrealwater.com. And uh, also Trent Cotney. Uh, check him out at TrentCotney.com. I saw he was uh, sponsoring uh, one of the ladies that was fighting in uh, Invicta this uh, past weekend, Friday night. Uh, Amber Brown had a, had a uh, victory. Uh, stoppage and uh, looked great in her fight, and uh, she was, had the big TrentCotney.com logo on her shirt, so shout out to her. Uh, we're navigating our way through some audio here from today's UFC 197 press conference. I went down the MGM Grand Garden Arena here in Las Vegas and uh, got in some questions with uh, not only Conor McGregor and Rafael Dos Anjos, who you heard from, they're going to be headlining UFC 197, but I also talked to the ladies, Frank. Uh, Holly Holm, the UFC Bantamweight champion, is going to be making her first First title defense, and it's not in a rematch against Ronda Rousey. We've learned that uh, Ronda will not return to the octagon until uh, later this year. So in the meantime, Holly Holm has been booked for a title defense against the number one contender, Misha Tate. Uh, so first, I talked to Misha about the fact that uh, for the first time in years, uh, when she thinks about a title shot and her, uh, her uh, climb toward getting one, it doesn't have someone attached to it who she genuinely doesn't like in Ronda Rousey. Question for Misha Tate. 
Uh, Misha, uh, I, presumably every time you've thought about getting a title shot over the last couple of years, it's been associated with Ronda Rousey, who you had a lot of personal animosity for. When you think about this title shot now, that it, it does have a, a fresh face attached to it, do you think about it any differently in that sense? Is it any type of a relief to have no personal animosity or emotions attached to it? Um, I suppose it is. Uh, it's just a different different kind of feeling leading into this fight. Um, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of, of, of respectfulness, and I think that Holly is a true sportsman, and I like this fight. I like the matchup, and it's, it's a little refreshing to not have it have to be against Ron and have to go through all the drama of seeing each other all the time. You know, um, Holly and I are very friendly, so it's just different. It's nice. And lastly, for the champion, Holly, uh, I know you would have in the rematch against Ronda Rousey if that had been presented to you first, but do you like this idea of being able to have a fight that's your night, it's writing a new chapter in your brand, and it's not necessarily going straight to revisiting something that you've already done? You know, I was, I was open to a rematch with Ronda. I just um, wanted whatever opportunity was going to come. Um, you know... I think that this is definitely even more of a challenging way to go. Um, there's a lot of pressure behind it. I think there's a lot of um, anticipation what I'm going to do after the last fight. You know, there's a lot of high expectations. And, you know, who wants to be a one-hit wonder, right? So I want to be able to, to still perform and do well. A lot of people are, oh, are you so excited? You've, you made it. You made it to the top. And I, that's one fight. but. Every fight still is something to, to want to get better and do well at. Um, I still feel like I'm climbing, climbing, climbing. I don't ever want to feel like I'm at the top. Um, if the rematch would have come with Ronda, that's what I would have focused on. And I think another thing that's just worked for me, one fight at a time, I'm going to focus on it. When the fight was with Ronda, that's what I focused on. Now it's Misha, that's what I'm going to focus on. Um, if, I think if the rematch would have been like a for sure thing that it was going to come sooner than later, that, that would have been what was going to happen. Um, but the fight with Misha is here. So I, honestly, the, the whole thought of the rematch with Ronda isn't even on my mind anymore because that's not where my focus should be anyway. Thanks. What do you think about this fight, Frank? I think that stylistically, we might actually see Holly Holm in a more competitive effort against Misha Tate than we did against Ronda Rousey. I do. I think it's, uh, it's actually, I agree with Holly. I feel that unless uh, Ronda, and she will come and add on to her game, I can't see that Ronda wouldn't do that as the champion, you know, caliber individual that she is. But she has to come up with a different game plan. Her game plan uh, of just moving straight forward relentlessly at Holly played perfectly well into Holly's uh, best attributes. You know, the straight left hand, the angles, the footwork. And so um, she has to add more to her uh, the cart. Uh, you know, and, and there's always those rumors that you know her knees aren't what they used to be because of all the judo training, and yeah. you know, can she change levels and attack the legs? Because Holly has shown that she perfectly understands how to stop the throw. That's why you don't really see judo throws in the man side, the men's side of the uh, uh, division, because they really work on someone who's off balance, pushing, driving in. Um, and you know the athletes that are you know on the men's side, uh, not that they don't still you know have openings for the throw, but it's hard to be consistent with them because you know if a person just sits down and pulls their weight back and doesn't drive forward, it's near impossible to launch them, you know. And so uh, she, you know, Holly, obviously with the coaching of Jackson and Winklejohn, you know, 
um, they stop that. Doesn't mean she can stop the double and the single and different attacks. Attacks that Misha Tate is very capable of doing and is very good at. In fact, taking down uh, Ronda and their outing the last time those two went at it. And so, you know, Misha is a very accomplished uh, grappler. And so, you know, I think she's much more well-rounded as far as uh, complete of a grappler, you know, different levels of takedowns and shots and movement and, and on the ground uh, than, you know, uh, Ronda, who has some phenomenal strong points that make her uh, a gold medal at some of the stuff that she does. She does better than anybody in the world. But I think Misha has more uh, of a broad game uh, than Ronda brings. And I don't feel that she's going to chase Holly around. Um, uh, my early prediction is this could end up being, uh, you know, definitely a decision win. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think Holly, you know, has the better striking and better footwork and can move around and, and keep the distance and conditioning. Um, but I can see this very much looking like the two previous fights that she had before Ronda Rousey. Um, and, and, and that being said is I think the knockouts and that, that occurred in the Ronda Rousey fight happened because you had such a, a bull rushing forward aggressive fighter that was fearless and never tasted defeat and was just courageous moving forward and it worked against her um you're not gonna that misha's not gonna do that she's too savvy she's had more experience than ronda as a fighter um she's never shown that in any of her fights that so she's just gonna throw caution to the wind and just come in swinging and so i think you're gonna see a much more technical fight between these two and uh, I don't think we're going to see the same amount of fireworks that we saw in the uh, the Ronda Rousey fight. Yeah, I, I agree with that analysis. And another thing that I really like about the timing of all this, to draw a historical reference to boxing, before Muhammad Ali went away, he, he wasn't uh, he wasn't knocked out. He, he was KO'd by the Vietnam War movement. You know, he was stripped yeah. of his title and he had to go away he for took a little a moral bit. Moral stance, and, right? Uh, on a side note, that's pretty respectable. You know, I don't know there's a lot of things I believe in besides my wife and my child, you know, my children, yep. you know, but if you put a concept in front of me, I mean, you know, look, I love being a martial artist, mm-hmm. but if you had a bunch of people come in and said, Frank, you cannot call yourself a martial artist anymore or you're mm-hmm. going to do jail time. Yeah. I'd be like, all right, man, I don't know. Do I watch birds now? Like, call it, man. You know, hey, let's flip a coin, you know, yeah. paper, rock, scissors. What do you want me to call me? You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but to sit there and, and have that kind of conviction, yeah. I mean, of all the things that Muhammad Ali has done throughout his career, I personally find that, I mean, think about that. Someone sits there and goes, are you going to go to war You know, and stand up there? I mean, come on. The guy was a celebrity back then. Mm-hmm. He never would have saw combat. Joe Lewis. It would have been, been like Elvis in the Yeah, Army. Joe, Lewis, yeah. Joe Lewis, Elvis. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, you had different athletes. I mean, that have gone over and fought in the wars and, and unless they themselves really push the envelope, they're kept away from any kind of harm. Yeah. They're, you know, not that, I mean, Hey, you know, someone can, you know, at any moment, I mean, you are in warfare, but I mean, Hey, people die slipping in the bathtub too, but let's face it. He's not going to be on the front line reloading. I mean, you know, he'd be doing like USO appearances. Exactly. Like yeah. So he wasn't like, you know, well, you know, he was scared. He wasn't scared. Come on. Mm-hmm. The guy had nothing to fear. He really had a conviction mm-hmm. about his Islamic faith that that was against what he, he was going for. And he stood by it and sat there and took a four year conviction, you know, a term and man, Yep. That's impressive. I'm impressed. Yep. You know, like no. I, I still this day when I read that and I it really sunk on me. I'm like, you know, I look at so, you know, hey man, tell me, for example, 
you either go ahead and pick a religion right now. You got to have to start going to church on Sundays and call yourself a Catholic, a Baptist, whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Or you could do Saturday and be you know Jewish. You name it, dude. But you better pick one mm-hmm. or you're going to do four years. How convicted are you at being able to say that you're an atheist? That's a good question. It's a great question. I mean, the I know I know I would still believe what I believed, but you're right. the The question is, do you just go ahead and yeah. sign up? Right, you know? because I mean, really, what's the harm? And that's right. it wasn't like it was a young guy who was like, well, you know, I either do four years in jail or I'm going to get sent over there and I'm going to be carrying a rifle, you know, marching through the jungle, and, and yeah. you know, the, that's a scary prospect. So then, obviously, it's the lesser of two evils yeah. in his mind, but. You know, it's Muhammad Ali, you know, Cassius Clay, the guy, you know, he's going to live, you know, a life of luxury over there. He's going to, I mean, yep. come on. Well, what I, the reason, and the, Sorry, right, I no, 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 it's a, it's, a, it's a great opportunity to talk about it. But what I was going to say is, you know, this reminds me a little bit of, you know, Rhonda gets KO'd by Holly. She's going to take an extended break. She comes back at the end of the year, uh, but it will be, have been about a year before she, since she's fought. When we saw Ali go away for a bit, when he left, there was just Ali. When he returned, there was Frazier and Foreman. Right. Right. And even Norton, you know, was Yes. There? So what I'm thinking is that this is a great opportunity to build a Foreman and a Frazier. If you recall, Foreman and Frazier had, had fought. Yes. Foreman. I saw the fight. I mean, yeah. obviously not live before yeah. my time. Yeah. And you must have been, I mean, I know a little bit, but you couldn't have been. I was uh, tiny. Yeah. You weren't yeah. paying attention to what was going on. No, no, no. I, I learned about <laughs> it after the fact. But the, the, the point being that there was drama for Ali to return to there were there were top-notch caliber opponents somebody else had the belt somebody else was a top contender there were two people that people thought boy you know Ali could could uh really have a tussle with these folks and yeah, no case, one thought he could beat for him and after that that's he right came back because you watch the fight I mean anybody can go on YouTube right now and watch yeah. it was a destruction of Joe Frazier I yes mean, Foreman, I mean, almost ended his career. I mean, he yeah. dropped him about five or six times. He smashed him, and I mean, yeah. he beat him down. And people are going, "Hey, this guy Frazier, you know, you got you've had some wars with this guy. Yeah. He just got destroyed by that guy. You're gonna go over there and fight the 1968 gold medalist from Mexico City that you know, or, you know, Olympics being held there. I mean, the young stud that you know has all the highest knockout percentages. That guy's in, a, you know, I think people in Ali's own camp were like, please don't take this fight you mm-hmm. might not mm-hmm. live through this i'm not saying the guy's gonna kill you like wipe the floor with you i'm talking like we will be having a uh, memorial service for yeah. you <laughs> yeah yeah and it's it's just i think it's it's um it's setting up well because no matter what happens if if holly win, uh, retains the title then uh you know we we get uh even more anticipation for a rematch with ronda uh, if Misha Tate takes the title, now we get another fight with Misha, but this time Misha's the champion. And if there was ever going to be a way to market a third fight between those two, I think it would be this. It is some, somehow Misha gets that that belt back on her. I'll tell you a quick aside about George Foreman. You were talking about uh, his fight with, uh, with Ali and the, the rope-a-dope. Um, I interviewed George Foreman one time on my radio show about this. 
And I really appreciated his candor about this moment because so many fighters, you know, it's very rare that a fighter will ever even admit to being hurt in the octagon at all in the cage or the ring or whatever, you know, uh, even when they were clearly rocked. And in fact, a credit to Misha Tate, I was just rewatching her fight with Sarah McMahon uh, last night, which she won via decision. But she was asked by Joe Rogan, you know, you got you got hit hard in the first round. How hurt were you? And Misha Tate was like very hurt. To be honest with you, like really, I got my bell rung hard. I think you know, she I had even to had a cracked orbital, right? I think she did. Yeah, something like that happened, and so you know. But it reminded me because I had Foreman on the show one time, and I asked him about uh, the the rope dope, you know, the rumble in the jungle. I said, um, "What happened in that fight?" And he said, "You know," he said, "I got beat." He said, "I had everybody in the world telling me." that I was supernatural, that I was unstoppable. Like you said, he knocked out Joe Frazier, and that was going to run through Muhammad Ali. He said, I had everybody in the world telling me that. And he said, for the first, you know, however many rounds the fight goes, he said, Ali's on the ropes, and I'm hitting him, and I'm hitting him, and he's taking it. And I'm thinking, man, this guy's got nothing for me. You know, it's just a matter of time until he falls. And he said, the last thing I remember about that fight is I'm hitting him and I'm punching him and I got him backed up against the ropes and he said he leans into me into my ear and he says is that all you got George and he said I remember thinking to myself yes yes this is about all I have <laughs> and he said the very next moment I wake up and I'm looking at the lights and I don't know what's happened wow I was knocked out that takes but that just is a testament to George Foreman's own strength of character yeah to show weakness because so many people we feel weak so you only can expose strength only express well i'm only going to show you my good side my strong i never make mistakes i'm not wrong in arguments so when i see somebody that can have the humility to sit there and go no i, I made a mistake and or in such the story you just told me i admire that more because i'm like oh okay so you have a solid confidence in who you are as a person realizing that you can share this story and it's not going to take anything away from you because you're still you. And, and again, anybody who's listening to this, if you haven't seen what George Foreman looked like back in that day, I mean, if you're thinking of the guy that sells the Foreman grill, yeah. the, the, you know, the, Lovable the nice teddy bear. Yeah, grandpa type guy <laughs> that's at the barbecue that, you know, you could sit there and, and tell, you know, how you had a bad day at school. Like, no. The George Foreman that Ali had to get locked into that uh, <laughs> square with um, was a menacing, scary creature. He came off. Remember, he came off the airplane in Africa with the. Uh, he had the uh, the like the superfly denim outfit on with the yeah. the hat, and he had the he German like, shepherds. He seriously was a comic book character type yeah. physique. The guy had a waist, looked like it was thirty inches around, and just just veed up from there i mean the guy i mean he almost looked like a bodybuilder yeah i mean i mean if he had decided to play football we'd be talking about him in the football hall of fame the guy was just a phenomenal athlete that you know and man i think he still might i mean i would have to go through it but i mean i was talking so that I mean, he has one of the highest knockout percentages in the heavyweight division yeah. i mean talk about a guy so powerful and strong that in his 40s was able to reclaim a legitimate heavyweight belt that's right, when he beat Michael Moore. Michael Moore mm -hmm. knocked him out, you know? Yep. Uh, talk about him. Mean, how good was he back in his 20s? I'm like, well, the guy in his 40s became the heavyweight champ. Yeah. Give you an idea of how good he was, you know? Yeah. Well, it's uh, I, UFC 197. Credit to the UFC because, you know, they were – 
they're at that point three pay per views, uh, three three uh, numerical events away from UFC 200, and a lot of these fights could have easily just waited until then. I think it's pretty impressive that they're going ahead and they're saying, you know what, we're going to try to do the biggest show in our history at UFC 200, but we're not going to play it safe. We're going to put on a blockbuster card on 197. If nobody gets injured, some of these folks could fight again at 200, but if they do, that's that's the way it rolls. Yeah, you I'd can't anticipate it. the future. I think they just, they, you know, I mean, obviously Joe Silva. One of the reasons why the UFC is what it is today is, yeah. I mean, because if you don't put the right fights together, fighting is not entertaining. You know, you could you could put some. Uh, there's great fighters out there, but if they're not matched up properly, and then, you know, uh, you know, cards put together and people being called on short notice, and I mean, if I think half the fans even realized how close certain cards have come to where I'm like, I don't even know how they're going to run this, mm-hmm. you know, a week out <laughs> uh, and they pull it off. And I think they just realize that there's no way to anticipate the future. Guys can blow their knees getting out of their car, you know? I mean, crazier things have happened. I mean, I, I remember this was before, actually, I even signed in the UFC. I think it was UFC 32 or something. Mm-hmm. Or was I in it? Oh, man, sometimes the shots the head cloud my perception of time and reality. But um, it was a fight that was supposed to occur the first time uh, when uh, Vitor Belford was going to fight Tito Ortiz. Mm. And that fight, I remember, the you know, when they had to now they announced it there, and they, you know, sorry, folks, this fight will not occur. Because, you know, uh, two or three weeks earlier, Vitor, you know, training somehow put his arm through the window that was in the gym. Yeah. Was that the one that Patrick Cote ended up having to fill in for maybe? Uh, It was was either Patrick Cote or Guy Mesger. Somebody had to do like a fill in because the original fight got canceled. I think it was one of those guys. I think it was Guy Mesger. Maybe that was when he came back. I think Patrick Cote was later on, you know, after Tito. This was when Tito, I think, was still... You know, yeah. uh, at the top of his game. Uh, yeah. Uh, Patrick Ote was, I think, on the, the downslide of it. Yeah. You ready to have some fun? Absolutely. All right. So coming up next, Frank and I, starting tomorrow, are about to enter into competition against each other. That's right. It's and time to do the... Uh... Doug Stanhope's Celebrity Death Pool. You're listening to Phone Booth Fighting, your weekly source for mixed martial arts talk with uh, myself, Richard Hunter, and two-time UFC heavyweight champion Frank Mir. Thanks to our sponsors, Real Water. Get real at drinkrealwater.com and Trent Cotney over at trentcotney.com. Uh, subscribe to the podcast. Won't you please? So many people are doing it, and uh, we appreciate new listeners each and every week. You can find us in iTunes by searching Phone Booth Fighting or go to phoneboothfighting.com and uh, download weekly editions, sometimes more than weekly. Frank, last week we were so busy we cranked out a couple episodes in one week. Uh, you can follow us on social media as well, Instagram at Phone Booth Fighting and on Twitter at Phone Booth Fight. We also have a Phone Booth Fighting Facebook page, and you can follow myself and Frank individually on Twitter and Instagram at the Frank Mir and at Richard Hunter. All right, Frank, I know you're a very competitive person. I am myself as well. Lucky for you, I'm out of your weight class. But when it comes to Doug Stanhope's celebrity death pool, it's a uh, open weight class. And uh, I've got the experience advantage on you having competed uh, a few years up to now. So, so you know, you have a little bit more insider information than I do. Maybe I have a little uh, bit of that. You have maybe a lot I more do. friends that are in the celebrity world than I do. Yeah, and maybe I'm, you know, training with some uh, elite, if you will. Uh, so this is going to be fun. This is going to be interesting. So the backstory is for, uh, the last uh, few years, my, uh, friend Doug Stanhope, the noted comedian has, uh, put on 
a celebrity death pool, and uh, I've been invited to, to play in it, and I've played for the last few years. So we started talking about it uh, a couple episodes ago on Phone Booth Fighting. Frank was really interested in it, and I said, you know what, Frank, let me, it's an invitation-only league. It's kind of like one of these, you know, it's like the, the poker game, you got to know somebody to get in, right? right. And I said, let me, uh, let, me, let me hit up the guys and see if I can uh, get Frank in. Turns out they were fans, so they're excited to have you in. And uh, well, originally um, it started off. I just wanted to make sure that my name wasn't on the yes, list. Yes, yes. <laughs> I'm like, hey, you know, and amongst you know <laughs> uh, pop culture, I'm not uh-huh. thought of as somebody that might be no. a profitable choice to pick as far as kicking the bucket. No, no, you know, you're you're what's known as a long shot in right. celebrity death pool circles. I like which that. Is what if you I'm the Hell be. Mary, yeah, uh, I like being the Hell Mary. That's what you want to be. So, so I got you into uh, the pool. There will be about uh, twenty or so of us. Uh, Doug plays in the pool, and uh, you'll recognize a couple other people. Uh, there's a little bit of money on the line, so uh, I know you uh, you like to make a friendly wager on occasion. It's a uh, it's a uh, a fifty dollar ante, winner takes all. So you're pretty happy if you win a couple of grand, you know. Yeah. That's right. yeah. So what I thought we'd do is we'd review the rules. Now our rosters are going to lock tomorrow, so you're going to have about I think you got about twenty four hours to kind of make your picks. You're going to pick 20 celebrities, okay? And the way it works is uh, is this. And you will have, we play for uh, basically the remainder of the year. The last uh, uh, day of the season is December 31st, 2016. Each month, you will have the opportunity to make one trade. On the 15th of each month, a trade round opens for 24 hours. You can drop one uh, celebrity from your roster and add one. The caveat being the one you add cannot have already been picked by anybody in the league. So your first initial draft is very important. Let's review the rules. Here's the scoring system, Frank. The magic formula is 100 minus the celebrity's age plus all applicable bonus points. That gives you a total score. Uh, so for example, if your celebrity, uh, dies, 36, there you go. Okay. So your score, if, uh, you were to pass at, uh, 36 would be a 64, right? Okay. Uh, which is pretty good score. So obviously the young, you know, you pick an old geezer, but if they do what comes naturally, uh, around that age, it's not going to be that big of a score. If I pick, uh, you know, Hugh Hefner. Yeah. You know, he's like, what, 86 years old now? Right. Exactly. But but if Hugh Hefner dies uh, on certain days or of uh, unnatural causes, now we're talking about getting into bonuses. Here we go. You ready? Like he dies with playmates, drug-fueled. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. So then we can gain our points back as if anybody's going to win that way. (laughs) Right. So here's what you need to know. Um 25 points for the home solo pick. By the way, our league is referred to as our uh, funeral home. The, the, the leagues are called funeral homes. So here we go. 25 points for the home solo pick. This is when your celebrity is not picked by anyone else in your funeral home. So if you have, uh, like I said, we'll be playing against 20 or so other people. If you pick a celebrity who no one else has picked in the league, you're going to get 25 points on top of that called a solo pick. Nice. All right. 25 points for a site-wide solo pick. Now, this is uh, th- this means there are a lot of people who play in their own individual leagues outside of ours. Ours is invitation only. So if you happen to pick a celebrity that nobody has taken 
across the entire landscape of, of whoever's playing. Oscar De La Hoya. And yes. No one else has chosen him. Right. Another 25 points there. All right. 25 points for first blood. That means you are the first mourner to get a hit in your funeral home. So let's say uh, our you know season starts on the 22nd, and, and the next day, the 23rd, the first person drops dead, and it happens to be a person you pick, you get a 25-point first blood bonus. I like the names on these things. Uh, oh, they get better. They get better. Can I interest the comics you? to put this together like this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. How about this? 25 points for the Kurt Cobain. That is when a celebrity dies from suicide. Okay. 25 points for the Amy Winehouse. That is when your celebrity dies from an accidental drug or alcohol overdose confirmed by toxicology before the end of the funeral home year. So keep in mind, this is where this could get you. Let's say a celebrity overdoses on December 31st, toxicology reports don't come in until the beginning of the year, you could lose that 25 So is that bonus. to kind of avoid where someone comes out months later that they were... I think so. I think so. You just got to, and also for practicality, it's difficult for the commissioner to score because a lot of times he has to make rulings, you know, uh, 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 whenever there's a bit of controversy involved. They do. Uh, All right. Now, this is a particularly interesting one. This is one to keep in mind for the early part of the season. 25 points for the Whitney Houston. Frank, that is when a black celebrity dies during Black History Month, (laughs) which is February. (laughs) She died in February. Yeah, that's awful. (laughs) (laughs) That's awful. (laughs) But I'm laughing. But an interesting strategical point to keep in mind, though. she she was worth all kinds of points. Yeah, because she, you know, she's fairly young. I don't Mm -hmm. think she was even fifty yet. Mm -mm. Um, You know, I mean, OD, OD. Toxicology Mm -hmm. report Mm -hmm. showed right Uh, now. Do people argue whether it's suicide or not on hers? Like, hey, did she purposely take pills? Like, I mean, well, that is why the uh, the 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 overdose. Well, that's a good point. I mean, I guess yes. Actually. Is that double points of a guy? No, you know what? That's downs a, great a bunch question. of pills. That's a great question. Trying I, to kill themselves, and you have a drug overdose, not yeah. just a party. Overdose. You know what? I in the couple of years I've been playing, I have not seen that present itself as a problem like i uh i scored a bunch of points one year because i took country singer mindy mccready uh but she blew her head off so there wasn't any confusion there but had she taken pretty straightforward yeah (laughs) (laughs) but what if she blew her head off after taking a bunch of pills which would be the kurt Cobain? i know i know drug overdose That's when toxicology report on a side note real quick have you seen that special on netflix the soaked in bleach Holy cow, really? man. Really? I haven't watched it yet. Bro, that, that, I'm not a real big conspiracy theory guy. Yeah. I say that, and then yeah. I, I watch things like that, but yeah. I don't think there's chemtrails out there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. To me, it's like, okay, look, you know, 9-11 wasn't an inside job. That would mm-hmm. take, you know, I, I've watched things, you know, zeitgeist and sit there and go, so you're telling me the 1,000 employees to, to, it would take to wire this building together got in and out, no one saw it, no one's talked. I'm like, yeah. eh, yeah, yeah, no, it's... Not very likely. It's improbable. You know, I'm very much Ackman's razor, you know, you know, and so, uh, but anyways, after watching that special, I like, I watched it. I'm like, okay, I realize that the show is made always to entice people to think a certain way and it's going to be one-sided and, uh, you know, uh, you know, information will be excluded that would hurt their argument because then they wouldn't have a show. 
But uh, the, the stuff that it did show, I was like, I like woke my wife. I'm like, hey, hey babe, you know, because she put it on. Yeah. It was her idea to watch it. And of course, like my wife always does, you know, I the opening credits are off and I look over and she's out. I'm like, all right, now I'm stuck watching it because if I change the channel and she wakes up in the middle of the night, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, but it was very interesting. Well, um, that so I'll tell you what, I will make sure I watch it before next week's episode. No, it's super interesting. I mean, one thing to talk about is yep. the amount of heroin that was found in his system, mm-hmm. they said would be incapable of committing suicide. Mm. And they said, and also, too, look through this. In fact, I tried Googling it to find, and I couldn't find any. Maybe I just need to try a different search engine, you know, wording. Mm-hmm. But uh, talking about if you take a large amount of opiates, you're not trying to kill yourself at that moment. You know, you might kill yourself through the overdose of opiates, mm-hmm. but to sit there and shoot up a bunch of heroin, you're typically in a good mood. Mm-hmm. You're feeling pretty good about mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. You might have just walked in on your wife with your buddy, mm-hmm. found out you have terminal cancer, and you know, you shoot up on the amount of heroin that he was on, and life still looks pretty sweet at that moment. Mm. So, and so to sit there and try to commit suicide at that moment with a gun, they're like... That's not like who else does that? Who shoots up on heroin to kill themselves later mm-hmm. with a gun? All right. I will make sure I watch it before next week. Yes, we'll talk do. about it. Keep Super in mind the Kurt Cobain bonus. All right. Continuing. 25 points for the Betty Davis. That is when a celebrity dies from breast cancer during Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Man, some of these are just. That's October. Yes. It's rough. Yeah. Now that I mean that one's a tough one to predict when you think about it. I mean you're going to have to find your celebrity with breast cancer and then wager on the idea that they're going to die during October. That's pretty precise. Yes, pretty precise. It gets a little more precise uh, from here. Uh, fifty points for the John Lennon. Uh, so fifty point. We've been hitting you with a lot of twenty five pointers. This is a fifty point. This is when your celebrity. Huh? This is when your celebrity is murdered, Frank. Um, for the purposes of the, this from the official rules for the purposes of this game, murder is defined as being killed against your will at the behest of another while having a reasonable expectation of not being killed. So by that definition, law enforcement, spies and military personnel will not qualify unless they are murdered outside of their profession. And to clarify further, terrorists killed in drone strikes or any other military operation will not count. That's important because the last couple of seasons, what we had, we'd get a lot of people, what they do is they'd pull up like the Al-Qaeda list and they'd figure out who the, you know, most wanted guy, the number two guy Who's is on or the whatever. Who's to get droned. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then they'd put them on there That's and they'd smart, get That's smart, man. That's smart. Yeah, it was a smart strategy. Because, but, but, I mean, uh, those guys are, you know, they're not like they're in their 80s. Mm-hmm. A lot of those guys, right? You know, yeah, no, it was a score. A couple of them are young, you know. Yeah. I mean, forty-year-old guy, yeah, you know, sixty points right there. And if right. you get that bonus on top of that, that's a good, right. you know, that's a nice uh, payday. Right. No, it, it was. So you can see why they've made the uh, adjustment this year. Now, each year, Frank, and uh, if you're so fortunate as to win the league, uh, maybe you'll have the opportunity to do this uh, next year. Each year, the person who wins gets to make up their own rule for the next season. Okay. Oh, so they get to add in a... A category. Uh, Betty Davis. Yeah, exactly. Nice. So, for example, one year a guy won, and he decided he wanted to give an extra 25 points for a celebrity whose first and last name uh, started with the same letter. Has anybody done the David Carradine? Uh, no. That's See, your idea. That I is, like that. I want to win. 
Yeah. Forget the money. Yeah. I want to add in an and audio. The, 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 yeah. Excuse me. You can say it properly. What's the, what is the it? Autoerotic on? asphyxiation. Thank you. Yeah. Autoerotic asphyxiation. Yeah. It's not an. It's not a suicide. It's not an overdose. It's an no. accidental death. An accidental death. But I think that is very deserving of a bonus. I think it's a great idea. So so you certainly know. and it's a very easy one to laugh at. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, not that I mean. Let's be serious. You know, mortality, you know, I mean, yeah. you know, hey, what are they doing? You know, death, you know, yeah. stares at you, you know, you can do is smile back. So I think, you know, bringing some humor to it, but, uh, you know. So hey, that'll be All yours. I know is if I ever, please, just yeah. pull my pants up, cut the rope, and <laughs> don't let the EMTs know. Oh, listen, <laughs> I'm not that kind of friend. I'm I'm pulling your pants down and stringing you up before I call anybody. <laughs> my wife should be like, I never knew he was into that stuff. <laughs> I'll be like, neither did he. <laughs> yeah, neither did he. <laughs> uh, spend, I've wow, already, I've already so funny. A guy spent his career not getting choked. Uh, I'll be like, oh, this is awesome. I've already, I've already got two thousand likes on this Instagram picture. <laughs> uh, you know, if they can benefit you guys. Uh, you know. All right. So, so this year's, uh, uh, you know, floating rule essentially good for this year only <clears throat> is uh, also, twenty. If you yeah. win, the rule only counts for the next year. Yeah, one season. It doesn't go permanently in Not the books. Not permanently. But ah. this year, the winner decided that there will be a 25-point bonus if a celebrity is or ever has been widely considered to be an athlete. While all rulings on qualifying athletes and bonus points are at the discretion of the commissioner, the following is a short list of sports, quote-unquote, that will not be included. Okay. Number one, darts. <laughs> Number two, pool, snooker, or billiards. Number three, fishing of any kind. Number four, cards or gambling, uh, board games or e-gaming like video game players, hunting, bullfighting, bodybuilding, competitive eating, or generally any sport that doesn't require both skill and strength or is widely regarded as not being an athletic sport. Oh. You know, the only one I'd probably kind of slightly argue for, but I mean, mm -hmm. I guess it's not a sport. It's more of an entertainment. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, uh, bullfighters are pretty good athletes. Mm. You know, mm -hmm. I, I would probably argue that, you know, that's there's a lot of skill involved in making sure that you don't end up uh, – uh, you know, Gored. impaled by yeah. that, uh, you know, two thousand pound pissed off animal. So I, oh, and I should mention too, with the John Lennon, one important rule there is uh, it clearly states in the you rule you can't be the person. Mm -mm. <laughs> if you murder your celebrity, you will not be awarded the points. It very clearly states that. All right, I, I, I saw that coming. <laughs> so holster your weapon, Frank. Don't so think I it's going to be that easy. <laughs> so I can't go out and be like, man, Mirror's list. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was getting shot by. <laughs> <laughs> Where were you? I'm like, uh, I was here home shooting the podcast. Right, right, Richard? That's right. <laughs> All right. Speaking of uh, weaponry, a 50-point bonus for the machine gun Kelly. Frank, that is when a celebrity dies on their birthday. That apparently is what machine gun Kelly did. Didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit of history there. Yeah, now that is very precise. I mean, you're talking about not only predicting the year that a celebrity dies, but a one in 365 chance of the day of the year. Okay, here, I have another question, kind of a little bit devil's advocate. Tupac, okay, yes. and Biggie Smalls. Now, obviously, they're not, they were not members of Al-Qaeda, you know, extremists. Right. But uh, one could argue that their 
music and the genre they're in, entered them into a realm akin to somebody being overseas in the military where it's mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, uh, obviously country singers are not, you know, mm-hmm. in the same type of situation where there's feuds and battles. I mean, maybe there is, I'm not aware of. Uh, the same we have in some of the rap music genre. So mm-hmm. would they count or would that be like, hey, look, you know, this guy's partaking in a lifestyle, mm. you know, uh, you know, like a 50 cents who's already been shot, you know, or, yeah. or somebody sit there and go, well, you know, this person, you know. Interesting yeah. question. I mean, as of right now, they would count. Um, you know, had the death pool existed back then, maybe that uh, that's something they would have amended the rules uh accordingly on but i mean as of right now if you want to pick somebody whose name begins with lil that might not be a bad idea yeah yeah there's a bunch of them to choose from great question frank uh 50 point bonus for the leonard skinnard that is when your celebrity dies in an aircraft crash that can include plane helicopter balloon hang glider or space shuttle Hmm. okay all right uh 50 points for the daily double I've never seen this happen. This is two celebrities dying in the same day. You're going to get a 25-point bonus for each celebrity. Three celebrities would be an extra 75 points, etc. That needs to be amended. If you make that call and two celebrities pass away on the same day, I'm okay with even if I were to lose because mm-hmm. of that. Hey, man, that guy deserves 100 points each. Like That's an amazing... Yeah, that is the half court buzzer beating shot right there, buddy, if I've ever heard one. Well, let me tell you what the 100 point half court uh, buzzer beating shot is. There is only one bonus category in the entire celebrity death pool that is worth 100 points. And that is the last call if a celebrity dies on New Year's Eve. And that is there to make it even more exciting because you could be in, you know, eighth, ninth place. And all of a sudden, yeah. if December 31st is your day. Yeah, I'm willing to keep that as 100 points for that extra yeah. intrigue on such a partying day with celebrities yeah. that have access to debauchery that the rest of us in the world probably will never even understand. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, man, I, I got to say, man, if you could pick two guys dying in the same day, that's... yeah. So let me stars align for you, man. Let me give you an idea, Frank, of the level of competition and prowess you're going to be up against. And by the way, I'm looking at the clock on uh, the celebrity death pool, and we're 23 hours and 41 minutes away from lockdown. So that means roster locks right about this time tomorrow night. So last year, I finished in eighth place with 178 total points, and I had one, two, three. Four kills. You picked four people. Four out of 20, and I only finished in eighth place. That is amazing. So I'm going to give you a couple of tips for a rookie. It's been a long time since you were a rookie, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Making your debut. I like it. Yeah. Um, So one thing you'll want to look at is, uh, and I, you know, I I hate to be a downer. You know, I hate to turn this thing, you know, uh, negative and and macabre. But um, one of the things... It's kind of a funny statement at yeah. this point in this conversation that we've had in this segment. Yeah, two, two words for you. Uh, pancreatic cancer. Not yes. a uh, high survival rate. 
No. So uh, when you see somebody that's uh, got that that one and uh, Lou Gehrig's disease, or I think pancreatic yeah. cancer is like in the ninety yeah. percent fatality, right? Not not a good one. Yeah. So uh, for example, like uh, uh, Valerie Harper, who was uh, Rhoda on the old Mary Tyler Moore show, and then went on to do her own. There's something going on with her. She's got like a a terminal situation going. So uh, you know, Google search will be your friend in this. Uh, you know what I'm doing late tonight? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So Rod, let me give you, you know, give me an idea. I want you don't want you to show your hand or anything. But like for example, is there anybody that that comes to mind? Like you, I will I will give you this tip. You mentioned Hugh Hefner. Okay, get you a couple of of uh, right. Well, okay. Here's an example because obviously yeah. uh, we're not going to air this before everybody locks in their no, pick. But no, one that's kind of a you know I would think of that would be out there, but he's not going to be worth a lot of points. But as far as a sh- for sure hit would be somebody you know. Let's see. You know, a Hugh Hefner comes to mind. A yep. uh, Stan Lee, you know, good one, right? He's Good-win. in his nineties. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you have to think. I mean, he obviously seems in great health, and mm-hmm. I'm a huge Marvel fan, so mm-hmm. I, you know, obviously, I don't want to see the individual go anywhere. But as far as if I had to bet, you know, who wouldn't be here next year, he wouldn't be a hard one for me to process. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, we only have the ten point, you know, uh, uh, win on it, but. You know, it would be points. Exactly. Uh, your only hope of a bonus would be like if no one else picked him or something like that. Yeah, he was born in, uh, Stan Lee was born in uh, 22. So, yeah, I mean, he's going to be, he's going to be worth what, less than 10 at this point. Yeah, so maybe yeah. actually he might be too old on that side. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you got to be careful of this one. Don't pick somebody that's older than 100 because they'll subtract points from you if they die. Well, they really? Yep. If you pick that, you can't go like, oh, the world's oldest person, because if they're 108 or whatever, yeah, they'll hit you for an eight point deduction. <laughs> yeah. Huh, okay. Yeah. So, so look out for that. So I say try to mix it up a little bit, get you a couple of old timers, you know, and then start looking for train wrecks. Exactly. Train wrecks. And then, and then people then, with more, you know, uh, you know, obviously, uh, 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 Terminal diagnosis. See, you know what? And I'll bet you, I, this is fun for the whole family because because my Jennifer oh, really my gets into really this as well. This. Yeah, yeah. She Finally, will... I, I should be like, see, I get the People magazines, and you always make fun of me. <laughs> <laughs> they sit in the bathroom. I'm gonna have to put the iPad down and start thumbing through them. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it, this is a lot of fun. So I think uh, I think you'll have a uh, a good time doing this. It'll give us a chance to uh, compete against each other and have something to talk about here on the show. And you know what I'm thinking too is uh that you know if we like doing this uh this year maybe next year we put a league together and we include the listeners and then they can play along with us maybe we do that next year if if all goes well all right well stay tuned for progress because uh tonight uh frank mirror will put his first uh celebrity death pool roster together and then he and i will go head to head and we'll uh keep you up to speed on uh our uh our progress over the year we should come up with some fun little uh wager between the two of us too True. Who does to see who does hands. better yes. yeah that way we'll have a 50 50 chance of winning maybe uh some of our listeners would like to suggest what the good wager would be on that there uh, there be more and more interactive with us on uh twitter so tweet us at phone booth fight uh, what your idea of a wager should be between myself and Frank, and then we'll credit you uh, with it on you the air. win, we get to roll. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, hell, if I win, that's a that's an expense. That would be an otherwise expensive private lesson. Yeah, that uh, that uh, yeah, that I would get exactly. So we'll. Uh, the bad news for you is we'll be seeing a lot more of each other, Frank.
Sorry, oh, sorry about that, company, buddy. Man. Oh, thank you, thank you. Well, it's that's now. That's before we go head to head in celebrity death pool. Let's see how tense things get once uh, <laughs> I get the lead on you. I, I just have this feeling that you're you're just such a competitive guy that I can see you like really, you know, about month three. You know, you're you're just kind of stewing over there, you know, because you miss out on a. Uh, why did I know that guy was going to off himself? This you know? put it the, it's a good thing that that rule's implemented that I can't, uh, <laughs> you can't get a hand in on Hunt now. down your own, uh, your own picks, exactly. All right, well, that's going to do it uh, for this week's show. Next week, we'll have uh, a report from the Steel Panther show. Uh, Frank and I are going to do that. We'll have a report from the uh, Real MMA event, which is also going down uh, this Friday. Uh, if you're in the Las Vegas area, be sure to come over to Samstown Casino and check out the Real MMA event. Our uh, friends over there at Real Water also sponsor a fantastic amateur mixed martial arts league, and they got another uh, fight card coming up this Friday at Samstown Casino here in Las Vegas. And uh, hopefully we'll have Ricky back with us and we can talk some more about Lundell MMA. We'll do some more uh, UFC news. we got a whole lot to get to. So uh, it'll be uh, a week. Uh, we'll go by before you know it. We'll have another episode for you. Until then, we thank everybody once again for listening to us terrestrially in the Reno and Las Vegas markets and also the ones who subscribe to the Phone Booth Fighting Podcast. If you're not already among them, here's what you do. Go to iTunes, look up Phone Booth Fighting, and uh, hit the subscribe button. Bam, it comes to your device each and every week like clockwork, or you can go to phoneboothfighting.com and grab it there. If you do one thing for us, if we could ask one favor of you, it's tell a friend. Please tell a friend about Phone Booth Fighting and turn them on to it and get them listening as well. Click on the five stars. Give us a five-star review if you don't mind. We'd appreciate that. And to follow, how about a follow on social media? On Instagram, at Phone Booth Fighting. On Twitter, at Phone Booth Fight. And individually, you can find us on social media, Twitter and Instagram, at the Frank Mir, at Richard Hunter, and at Ricky Lundell. We've got to thank uh, Stick Zadinia from uh, Steel Panther for joining us early. Or we'll uh, be seeing him out at the Hard Rock, or the... Uh, House of Blues at uh, Mandalay Bay. This coming Friday, go to SteelPantherRocks.com for all their upcoming tour dates. And uh, for Frank, we will. I'm Richard, and we will see you next week right back here for another episode of Phone Booth Fighting. Everybody was kung fu fighting. Those kids were fast as lightning. In fact, it was a little. Before.